Hi everyone, welcome to XYZ Podcast. I'm Gary. Today our co-host with Hazik. Hazik also currently practicing in London. And, and I thought to invite him because he has a certain experience and also understanding on farming. So I thought that it would be beneficial for us to discuss with our guests later. So hi Hazik, how are you? Hi Gary, thanks for inviting me. Cool, cool. It's good to see you again. <laughs> so today, today's topic, we, go, we are going to talk about something in-depth in a way kind of different from yesterday because yesterday we were talking about much more on student works and also his, uh, and, and also her study and research and, uh, and, and somehow evolved into philosophy of uh, her assignment. But today's, uh, we, we are still talking about a little bit of philosophy, but rather on a uh, realistic and practical side, because we to, we, we're going to talk about architectural practice. So if you have any questions, feel free to type it out at the type, type box, text box. Uh, later on in the end, we will have a uh, Q&A session. So we, have, we, we can bounce idea over there. So Kim himself currently are pursuing for a part three. And... I, I believe he, he have done a certain years of practice in, in some firm, in some company. So later on, he curr he's currently doing some uh, businesses on go doodle and also urban farming products and also some tools. Uh, I, I believe that we, we are not today, you know, talking about, about very specific products, but we are going to talk about how, uh, how can we make uh, urban farming and also the farming tools and apparatus available for, for the you know common market. So GoDoodle is actually one of the I would say it's like it's a workshop based website allow the individuals to learn about drawing. We will we, we will start with urban farm first. We will start with you know talk about the farming, the accessibility and availability. And then later on we will progress to GoDoodle and also architectural practice. As, uh, as he progressing later on. So Kim, I knew him because uh, because I, I knew him through a friend. I believe it was through a competition and Ling <laughs> and, and Lingrong was my friend and I believe Lingrong was his uh, uh, teammate. So without further ado, hi Kim, how are you? Hi, good to meet you, Gary. How's it? Right. <laughs> hi. Really nice to meet you. Yeah. yeah. So, so Maybe we can talk a little bit about the competition. So we know each other because of the competition, right? I, I mean, I'm, I, I was not joining the competition, of course, but we knew through Lingrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think we connected because of certain job. Right, right, right. And uh, we connected up. So I think Lingrong, we met during the uh, PAM Masterclass on uh, 2016. Right. So it's kind of like... Uh, a short one one week kind of training courses organized by Pam, right, and also tailors. So I get to represent UTM to participate this uh, um, master class. So apparently, my I think I remember that uh, my teammates there's uh, Lingrong, and uh, my the mentor of the group is actually architect Chan Manin. Oh Manin, yeah. Ah uh, yeah yeah. So. So from there, slowly I developed a relationship with Lingrong as well as Manin as well. So I think um, this masterclass has actually provided me more than uh, knowledge. Right. Uh, so it's more uh, more of like friendship thing. Right. That I, I get. You know Su as yeah. well. 
yeah, Sue is in the same ah, team. So, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Sue, Sue, Sue was my classmate. <laughs> ah, okay. Class. Yeah, that's very nice. Okay, but but we we're gonna talk a little bit about the competition later, and also being the nature of uh, studying in architecture is kind of different because it's totally different when when you go out to practice, right? Uh, especially now you are pursuing your part three, and also you're doing some other business as well, which is kind of related to architecture, but it's not really about architecture consultancy services. So later on, we will see how much the difference would you like to you know share with us. So, yeah, sure. but but before before the you know you you earlier you did mention before the interview you shared that uh, you study in UKM right you UKM ah uh, UT UTM. UTM right right From technology Malaysia right right in school in, at Johor in Johor yeah. okay so what what draws your interest into you know study architecture um I think it actually started during my secondary school time where I. I'm kind of like um, searching for what I'm going to pursue right. during that time, like from four, from five. So I think also because of my family background where my dad is actually in the construction line. Okay. So I, I was like uh, exposed with uh, things like renovation, improving house, uh, how to like make the house look beautiful and comfortable. So that kind of thing makes me like get interested into this kind of uh, thing. So uh, I'm I'm looking for uh, what sort of like professional or like courses that enables me to learn about this stuff. So eventually, I, I came across architecture, and uh, I also tried to apply for a diploma of architecture during after my SPM. Right, but uh, the, I think I didn't uh, I didn't get through because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's very competitive, and uh, mm -hmm. I ended up in uh, matriculation, and then to the degree, Bachelor of Science degree. Okay. To UCM, so, yeah. Can, can you imagine if you not enroll into architecture, <laughs> would you join your, your dad in construction <laughs> industry? Uh, I, I would say, uh, I, I, I think I remember that I wrote down my choices for right. choosing the course. Uh, so the first choice is architecture. Second oh. choice is actually landscape. And third choice is actually psychology. <laughs> <laughs> so construction, I think no. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> but but somehow it's very interesting. I mean psychology is the I, I think it's the mastermind behind the architecture and then uh construction landscape. Landscape is very interesting. And then for now you are doing some uh, urban farming. Now only I know landscape is uh, what 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 is landscape architect? Because uh, I see the architect <laughs> word, but I don't know. Actually, what is actually a landscape architect right, at right. that time. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But but I mean, uh, what about the belief in architecture? I mean, before you enroll into architecture school, have you ever thought like, oh, I wanted to be a certain kind of uh, architect, any ambition that you want to be, you know, I want to be focused on, on, on high-tech architecture or some something humane or something just uh, focusing on, you know, or, or even beam coordinator, something to do with construction. I think before I enroll into the course, uh, my understanding about architecture is quite limited, I would say. Right. Uh, it limits only until I know it's, it is about designing building. Mm. And, and I think that's about it. So my, my always, my, one of my dreams is to <laughs> design my own house. And, uh, <laughs> so uh, that's also what drives me la, to uh, 
pursue this so to acquire the skill set that this mm. in the course and enables me to do to realize my dream. Mm. So slowly, uh, when I go through the course and also practice, so the perspective uh, uh, different, uh, different uh, came in differently after different experience. Mm. So I think f- from uh, that time until now, uh, my definition of architecture has changed. I think like at least three, four times. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But I think, yeah. I think maybe after, after, after this session and then perhaps another five years or, or three years, I will interview you again and then let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Okay. So um, it's, it's very interesting because uh, usually I would, you know, we, we, I, I, I have uh, interviewed or had a conversation with students or even some professionals. So the, the, the difference is that usually students, they carry a certain very... I would say there is a very imaginative ways of thinking on architecture. I think it's very good because at the starting point, you should go wild and you know be be bold and be you know be free on the ideas instead of constrain yourself with the you know so called bylaws or the the practical side because somehow the practical side will will, will get rid of it after all. We with different kind of uh, experts and professionals, right? Mm-hmm. So when, when it comes to the competition, it's very ideal because I remember the competition was uh, was calling for residential project. So it's a very utopian-like or very idealistic competition. So mm-hmm. is there any thought that after... I, I mean, it's all part of the learning learning curve, right? So how do you see the, the idea that, you know, it is still utopian idea? It's like, you know, we're talking about Cedric Price, uh, Cedric Price... Uh, proposal or even archigrams or even uh, uh, Yona Friedman, you know, those are the unbuilt ideas, but they are big ideas. So how do you see when being a practical person, when, especially you are, you are just newly married, it's like after a year. So congrats on that. And, and how do okay, you see, how, how, how do you see that, you know, the utopian idea and also these idealistic ideas to come into real life being a, you know, realistic person, maybe? Mm, I would say it's, it's, a, it's a mix actually because um, first of all you definitely need a dream and uh, the, the dream will become sort of like your ceiling uh, for achievement mm. so the bigger the dream definitely you will go further because like, you have uh, the dream as your ceiling so you know how much effort or commitment you need to do or need to achieve before hitting the target mm. But then there's of course dream may be like too far fetched or too like fantasy or utopian mm. whereby it may not be may not be that real, may not be hundred percent achievable. But right. perhaps like even seventy percent achieved is also okay to me. So for like the competition that uh, allow us to go wild, go free without any constraint of uh, like realistic thinking about costing and also implementation of mm. the construction so it allows us to really think deep uh, in the concept of how people actually will um, will use or will live in the future the mm. lifestyle itself so what's the lifestyle uh, it's about in the future uh, I think it's 2050 if I'm not mistaken so mm. Um, have to imagine about 2050. So it's kind of hard for us to really imagine what is happening in 2050. 
Because mm. even for now, we even for now, like 2019 and 2020 is like totally different mm. <laughs> era already. <laughs> it's mm, like mm, one is totally at home, <laughs> the other one is like you can go around. Right. So it's it's like a total change of uh, lifestyle, culture, and everything. Mm. So 2050 may have like multiple pandemic happening, and we may become something like virtual physical hybrid <laughs> where we can <laughs> appear in virtual world even more frequent mm. and even more real, maybe. So mm. we we don't really know what will happen. But definitely to be able to imagine, to position ourselves in that future that we want to have mm. or we hope to have uh, and we build a vision there and then slowly we uh, reverse engineer on how we can actually achieve that. So it's mm. kind of like interesting mind game uh, to play right. with. Yeah. Right, right. And, and you did mention very interestingly talking about oh sorry sorry Hazik, sorry. <laughs> I, I was gonna uh, yeah. say like I actually think that is super relevant to like um urban farming or vertical farming in architecture because if you look at all like you know it's it's a really popular topic for thesis projects and um, for, for <laughs> it's students. my thesis as well <laughs> exactly and it was mine as well and um, uh-huh. a lot of students do it because it's hyper optimistic it is very easy to kind of um, show its potential without really grounding it in any sort of reality um, there's that basis of food which everyone can relate to so you can mm-hmm. You, you immediately have that, but then you take them on this wild journey of a dream that, oh, we can feed everyone and, you know, we can cut down carbon emissions, blah, blah, blah and save mm-hmm. water, etc. Um, but what I always found interesting is like when you take that into the real world, like what Gary was saying, um, mm-hmm. um, kind of applying it, how do you then make it into a business and make it into reality, which I think, you know, what you're doing now is, is super interesting. Um, because then you start to like what you're saying as well with the ceiling you kind of already cap it with your mind has already gone crazy has already gone mm-hmm. imagined all the possibilities and now the reverse engineering I think that that's the probably for me the funnest part and also the the most challenging part yeah I think in speaking of the, because the, the two keywords I captured from uh, Kim's statement or, or, or your words, he was talking about lifestyle and pandemics. So, I mean, throughout the pandemic, you know, the outbreak and also the lockdown, I, I believe a lot of, I, I have seen people in my friends, you know, they are trying to grow something, you know, they are trying to grow, especially the minimum, at the minimum effort, they are trying to grow some green onions or spring onions. <laughs> That's yeah, the, yeah, true, true, that's true. the so-called the, the smallest effort they could try at home. So I mean, especially in COVID nineteen, I mean, how do you see the the direction and also how imperative urban farming and also the you know in in neighborhood perhaps we we should try to understand and cultivate that kind of culture into our lifestyle. Um, uh, that's uh, I would say there's different level of thinking on on this culture on urban farming. So it depends on like uh, the context of like the people, the lifestyle. So for example, in Malaysia, we I think we most of us used to um, work, even both of like uh, husband and wife will be working, or even parents they will be working out for working. So when you are outside, you you may not have much time staying at home, like uh, as like today we are having now 2020 mm, mm. whereby most of our time is at home so when we are not at home 
um, the focus will definitely not be how to improve our home, mm. which includes urban farming. So if we have more time at home, so we will actually think of uh, how can we uh, improve the uh, home quality. So that includes urban farming, whereby we have uh, food available that we can plant and grow and see it grow and uh, also take care of it and eventually we can consume it. So it's a very, I would say, interesting experience to have. But mm. I think it's not everyone's uh, interest uh, to really take up and do it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely okay because uh, farming is a very, I would say, labor-intensive thing. Even mm. for like urban farming, you have like automated system, uh, you have this uh, automated lighting, even irrigations. Uh, it's automated, but you still need to take care of it whereby you need to see whether there's any like pests growing or any like um, malnutrition whereby you forget to f- uh, fill up the uh, fertilizer for the plant. Mm. So a lot of things that requires attention and also some read up on the knowledge to really grow the vegetables uh, uh, into something uh, that you want to eat. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not, it will become very small or tiny or like yellowish. Then hey, is it, hey, what happened? Uh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. Like, um, so you mentioned you did it for your thesis. Was that masters or or yeah, other? masters? Right. Okay. Do you remember like how how did that kind of come about? Why why did you decide to kind of? Look um, I think it's kind of like lucky or I don't know. Yeah. It just came uh, where, okay, I think I remember the, the whole process. Uh, the, first, the first semester, we have four semesters. So three semesters where we have, we, we touch on different topics. Uh, mm. Up to us, we can choose. And uh, final semester is about like how you want to put together all the research that you had done during the three semesters. And uh, or I, either, one, either you choose all of them and combine it together or you choose one of them and focus on it. So my take is uh, during my first semester, basically I have no idea. So I happened to ponder upon like uh, gastronomy, food, uh, food culture in Johor. Right. So that leads me into looking into uh, food, uh, into how people eat and uh, that sort of thing. And second semester starts on uh, a, a town named Masjid Tana in Melaka. So it's kind of like a sub-urban area where it used to be a very happening town, but uh, because of Melaka City, mm-hmm. uh, it's it been abandoned like uh, Taiping. So from there, I think I, I moved my idea of gastronomy into the town itself, try to uh, revitalize the town through gastronomy. So again, I pushed my idea on uh, what's beyond gastronomy. So uh, what I talked about is farm where mm. the source of the uh, food is. So that leads me into thinking how how actually urban farm can happen in this small town. So slowly I get into research and uh, things get rolling, rolling, rolling until the semester I get my idea uh, even into a competition as well. Uh, as well. So that gets me uh, to be exposed to more uh, information and so resources and networks. And finally, my final thesis is about like combining the whole township uh, and also the building design and also the program planning on how to revitalize the whole town Masjid Tana into 
a gastronomy focused uh, town, some sort of uh, that direction. So that's where I started to uh, really uh, touch on urban farming, that topic. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you did mention about the, 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 um, the primary things before gastronomy is farming. So does that does that hinting that your 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 vision your ambition is not limited to you know vegetations or landscape or edible um, vegetables or fruits, but later on it might be grows up to you know animals <laughs> perhaps <laughs> because farm oh, you know talking no, about no, poultry. No, no. So. <laughs> I I don't think I will touch animals because uh, <laughs> really really just purpose <laughs> really right. just uh, reasons. Mm. So I mean, that, definitely vegetables will be. Uh, Tesla. Yeah, I, I guess in Malaysia, we have that um, kind of other layer of that religious uh, thing. But like, as far as I know, in the world, no one really touches poultry or livestock mm. in an urban setting just because of hygiene and, um, you know, all these standards, health, health reasons. And it's something it's something that we definitely look over because when we say urban farming, if you take out the word urban, if you say farming, you definitely think of this whole system of, you know, livestock, yep, true, eggs, true. dairy, yep. cheese. And then you say urban farming and it's just greens, tomatoes. <laughs> and it's like, that's not what we eat. You know? And that's, that's again, like what I was saying before, like this idea of like hyper romanticizing it when you're doing a thesis. Mm. And then mm. once you get down to the ground, you're just selling microgreens. Yeah. Uh, and um, kind of like, how do you market that? It's also Which is like, not uh, our, in our uh, plate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. not our palate. Yeah, you're changing someone's, or you're asking someone to change their diet, really. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's very interesting. The the next question is, I would like to ask Kim and Hadze as well because I think you know, in I, I don't know, somehow urban planning, uh, urban sorry, uh, urban farming seems to be like a trend. Uh, comes in like in in student student movement. <laughs> it's like wherever you have an empty space, you just put in urban urban farming, but. I, I believe that a lot of students, they might have a lot of misunderstanding information, even though they do have the dream for it. I, I believe it's a good way. So I have, to, I have two questions, actually. So one is that, what, what, is the, what is your perception on, let's say, urban farming in a way, the farm in urban context, like kebun, kebun bangsa kind of thing. Okay, let's, maybe that's one. The second one is that, what is the misleading information that students tend to ignore or they, they didn't realize is, how hard is that, the challenges of it? Maybe you can start with Kim. Okay. Uh, okay, first is about the, how to say, uh, the purpose of urban farming, is it? Or, and the other one the is first perception. One is about, yeah, the first one is about the perception of uh, Kabun Bangsa, and the second one is the limitation and uh, misleading information yeah, about, about, about urban farming. The practical okay, side. Um, okay, okay, sure. Um, okay. So for urban farming, there's a spectrum of uh, typology of farms available um, or people used to have. So even from a small balcony setup, mm. it's also called urban farm because it's uh, set in an urban context. So you have very small, like um, five, uh, I think it's around... 50 times 50 cm kind of setup. It's very small. Even uh, that's called urban farming because you are doing farming in urban context. Mm. And until like Kerbin, Kerbin Bangsa, where, which is 
you are reusing or you are using or optimizing this, the 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 land that is basically not uh, cannot de be de developed because of the uh, the 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 cables, the energy cables uh, on top of it. So it is like uh, optimization of land use. So it's actually encouraged and uh, it's also part of urban farming. Mm. So my, my, uh, my urban farming uh, I have implemented in my project is actually a different spectrum. So that uh, ranges from soy base until water base. So that's two main uh, difference. So if it's about vertical, so definitely it's uh, water-based uh, farming. Mm. So uh, like, um, for example, if you are talking about vertical farm and indoor farming, uh, it's about efficient, uh, efficiency. It's about production. So it's about uh, the space optimization whereby you can like stack 12 levels of uh, uh, farm, uh, the, the vegetables, to plant mm -hmm. so is the the optimization is like time 10 mm -hmm. times 10 at least to be uh like justifiable uh, to set up in a urban context because the land cost is very expensive mm -hmm. so you gotta really stack it uh, maximum <laughs> to really uh, justify the uh, the profitability Mm. So for Kebun Kebun Bangsa is another I would say it's another story whereby the land itself cannot be developed and uh, like from uh, for Saksan he really used the land to utilize it for food and also social purposes which is mm. very good. So that uh, leads me to think about uh, that reminds me about one startup as well it's named uh, Follow Farm I don't know you heard before it's mm. quite famous uh, in Malaysia uh, which is in the southern farm. region yeah, yeah. So the founder is actually uh, two guys. One is doctor. So it's Dr. Lamiel Ng. Uh, and I, I met him before in a workshop. So we actually exchanged ideas on uh, how it actually happened. So he really used the idea of how to connect with the community and make Follow Farm as a community-based farm, whereby it is supported by the local community. Mm. And it started with the community itself. Uh, which is his own family and his relative family, like I think six families, if, if not mistaken. Until now, they are feeding like over 100 families mm. uh, with the effort of six families uh, working on the farm. So it's like family feeding family. So everyone is like a big family. So they have the trust, they have the commitment, everything. So it's very, I would say, very muhiba mm. in uh, Malaysia <laughs> term. I think if I if I can just pitch in like Gary I think you know from our previous discussion like you know how I feel about labels like sometimes I don't I don't think they're necessary but for example like in this case mm. when when we use this urban farm term it's extremely uh, loose at the moment and maybe it's because we don't have so much like precedence or examples to look at but for example like follow farm would that you know? Would that really classify as urban farm? Because to what extent no. is that urban? <laughs> and then, uh, like what you were saying about the fifty, you know, half half square meter farm, would that really classify as a farm? It's more urban, but it's like a garden, right? It's it's a hobby thing. You put it there. Um, I have plants in my room. Am I growing a farm? Not necessarily. And I think like this is like a case where labels come in, mm. uh, and it's very necessary because otherwise, like you said, like students have this miss 
students or anyone who's kind of, you know, uh, see it on social media or whatever, they do get a bit um, misconstrued or misled. Like, uh, oh, I can just have a, a couple pots of spring onions. I'm an urban farmer. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, and also like, just going back to your original question, the way I see it anyway, um, I think there are like three levels of uh, urban farming. Uh, the first level is actual like subsistence. So people who are growing it to eat, to feed their family, and then uh, surplus goes out, right? And this has, this has happened ever since cities were like made because there's always people who go to cities to seek better opportunities. They live in slums or whatever it is, and they grow because it's out of necessity. Mm. Um, and then there's like the second level, which is where most urban farms are at now is more social needs. By social, I mean like, it's either for education. So I think Kabong Kamabangsa, for me anyway, like that's the main purpose of it. It's, it's to, you know, let the urban kids come and see that's a chicken, mm. you know, not McDonald's, like mm. that's an actual chicken um, uh, and stuff like that. And that's an actual egg and that's where it comes from, bees and stuff like that. And then you also have the social aspect of bringing the community together. So you have like um, these new community gardens where all the auntie, uncle come together on the weekend uh, they have an activity to do. They have um, a way to kind of socialize. So that's the benefit of it. And then the third one, which I think is what, you know, young people like us are most interested in, is the business. Mm. It's to grow, to sell. It's to grow, to like be highly optimized, to uh, be a market leader, that kind of thing. In Malaysia, from what I can see anyway, a lot of it stays in the middle mm. until it dies. Um, it stays as a social thing until it dies um and i for me anyway i think a lot of it is because we don't necessarily need urban farms uh the highly optimized ones because we have a lot of land and when you throw any seed into the ground it will grow mm. um <laughs> mm. uh, and and also yeah the technology is not really keeping up like the, the amount of money that needs to go to get invested you know um and then, sorry, another thing was you asked, like, what are the misconceptions that people mm. have about urban farming? I think one of the biggest things is, uh, like Kim touched on this as well, it's the labor. Mm. People, people forget that actually people need to be involved. Um, and maybe sometimes, you know, as architects or people who are dwelling in architecture, we would think about this more because you don't design a building without thinking of the people, right? Mm. So hopefully as architects who are involved in this, we remember that, when you're designing a system like this, someone needs to use it. Uh, who, who's using it? How are they using it? What level of involvement? What level of maintenance? Mm. Um, and then, so labor is one of it. And the other one is just cost, I think. Uh, or at least business model. Mm. Um, how are you going to sustain it? Uh, I, these would be really interesting if students were pushed more to like think about um, because I think you can have so many different business models. So like what uh, Kim mentioned about Follow Farm, running that community, community uh, like veg box, basically, that they all chip in money and then they all get like this collection mm. of, of veggie. Imagine mm. that happening on an urban level with, you know, it's kind of going back to like barter trading where I'll grow spring onions, you grow uh, tomatoes. Mm. Uh, I don't need this many spring onions. You don't need that many tomatoes. But as a community, we can all have enough to feed each other. 
Mm. Um, and imagine applying that to a context like a uh, low flat, low cost flat, right? Mm. So many, so much space, so much different people, and you're distributing the labor, um, stuff like that. I mean, I'm kind of rambling now, but that that's kind of like my my take on the different stages of, mm. of urban farms. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I- I, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious, like, Kim, like the, the kind of thing you're involved in at the moment, um, what is it kind of touching more on? I, I assume it's more on the optimization of it. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree on your standpoint whereby there's a few categories, like what you say is three levels, where one is like self-sufficient. You, you grow for your own. Then if there's any surplus, you either give it up or sell it. Then the other one is uh, you you do for social purposes, educational. Yes, uh, we do that as well. We position ourselves as educational as well. And then the, the last one is more on like uh, business, uh, whereby we really grow to sell. So I think um, in Malaysia, there's a lot of social ones. But definitely, there's a lot. Uh, there's rising of numbers of uh, growing to sell uh, categories of uh, startups and companies. So, for example, what um my company uh, basically the the company that I partner with is actually positioned as a service provider and consultant mm. plus uh, social enterprise. So, what we do is we provide consultation for uh, people basically uh, institution like schools who wanted to implement uh, urban urban farming set setup basically hydroponics or aquaponics mm. Mm. in in the school for educational purpose and also for uh, consumption so for example we have school that really invested a lot they invested at least like 25k measuring it in the setups and basically the the output of the uh, farm the yield of the farm can actually uh, fit the students and also the teachers so it is actually bought by the canteen and the vegetables are used for the students consumption so they even push it further by the principal so mm. the principal plays a very big role in this whereby the uh the the principal she is very uh enthusiast in this and she's spearheaded in uh getting system from us from uh like small hydroponic system whereby he uh she sells to the neighborhood as well, so that actually um like build another income stream for the school, and allows them to maintain the the existing system as well, so they can actually purchase uh, seeds. Uh, pay for the utility cost. Uh, basically, it's very minimal because uh, it's an outdoor setting. So using natural lighting, everything. So it's quite cheap. Just the cost of the pump and also the uh, power generator to as a backup. Mm. So I think uh, it slowly evolves. And then we also have a commercial uh, level of uh, growers. Like for example, we have Babylon, who really plant kill only specifically and sell it commercially. So they are doing this for, I think, a few years time. And uh, they are quite successful and also raise some funds from private investors as well. And they have also, uh, they are also uh, like alumni from Sunway as well. So 
Sunway is actually doing this uh, actively. Uh, they they just started uh, something called I think Future X Farm, mm. just beside the uh, Sunway Pyramid. So even the big corporates are actually venturing into this. So for example, there's one U as well, mm. uh, whereby there's new development where the the tower has this kind of like circulating um, hydro uh, aquaponic set mm. setup. Mm. So they want to implement this uh, um, urban farm idea into the office tower as like selling point. Uh, but uh, it's very challenging to really apply on it. But uh, definitely they are putting money in it. So we can see that even big corporates are really putting in real money and uh, trying to find the right module, I would say. So it is still at the uh, experimental level where the big guys are playing with the concept and uh, trying to find the right way to really launch it. Mm. I believe uh, I believe earlier on, we have already mentioned a lot of uh, issues and also challenges. So now what, if, what, what about we talk about what, you know, William already typed out in, in the group chat saying, what do you think, you know, uh, working in extremely dense urban setting? I believe Hazik pointed out a very interesting point because, uh, Previously, I have visited like PPR buildings, you know, like low, uh, low cost housing areas, but actually it's not, you know, totally lacking of that land, you know, it's actually abundant, quite abundant in a way that you allows quite a space for vegetations. So let's talk about the how factor in a way, let's, we, we, we put it in a maybe small and big scale, um, big scale, it can go up to like carbon that scale or even can apply into PPR. Or even a small scale, let's say, you know, a lot of people actually living in apartments. So you, you, you were saying like the potential or opportunity to grow at the balcony. So what kind of apparatus or tools that allows for them to do that? Because it's not, it's not going to be like, you know, using some 100 plus recycle bottle to do that, right? It's going to be quite a proper set of kits, uh, you know, maybe available from your, from your site, Kim because you, you might wanted to talk about, uh, about a little bit of products in this case. Yeah, uh, I would say there's a range of it. Uh, definitely, you can actually DIY it if you are really into it. Uh, you can buy like separate PVC pipes or even recycle bottles and use it for planting. So you can actually set up, like string it up as like uh, horizontal pipes and you have different pots where you use the recycle bottles as the uh, pots itself. So, and you use the pipe as the water uh, flowing pipe where it supplies water for the pots, for the plants. So that actually become a setup as a hydroponic. Mm. So the, another thing that you need to know is about the AB solution, the fertilizer, and also how to do the irrigation, the pumping, how to make sure the water is flowing how to make sure the water level is at the optimal level where it doesn't really uh, immerse fully the, the root, which will make the root rot. And many other concerns on uh, like technical knowledge in terms of how to really sustain the farm itself. Because mm. uh, if you are hobbies, yes, you can like have uh, maybe two or three cycles where you successfully plant the vegetables but then maybe at the fourth or fifth cycle then you will face some problem for example like algae is growing in your pipe or something like that but you didn't realize it 
and then you still like pumping a lot of fertilizer into your solution, but ended up it consumed by the algae and mm. everything got stuck. Mm. Then you are like confused. Why why cannot grow like before? So you are like <laughs> why being, didn't they show that in the render? Yeah, why 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 <laughs> did they, they grow like it used to? So it really um is about experience as well and also the knowledge. So the other part is when you see uh like high density areas like low cost housing, for example. So we have people that is like um, really living at the poverty line. So some of them may have the initiative to really do something. So that kind of people really can, we, we can like propose this idea to them and uh, maybe get some funding, crowdfunding, and then get the system ready for them and let them do the plant, uh, planting which also happens in Johor uh, under the, uh, I think the Queen's uh, foundation where they funded some low-cost housing areas where they set up a so-called urban farm, but it's uh, soy-based. Mm. So they fund this and uh, let the neighborhood to learn about farming as well as to produce food for the neighborhood, which is quite successful and the people is happy. But then uh, the problem lies with whether the neighborhood or the people really wanted to commit in this, really wanted to take turn and uh, take care of the farm, maintain the farm. And also if there's any problem, you need to troubleshoot, you need to find out the, the problem, uh, the, the solution on how to really uh, maintain it and uh, keep it going. Because mm. without man good maintenance, when the farm is gone, then it's gone, you need to like redo again. Mm -hmm. So it's actually very labor intensive, to be honest. So it, it really lies back to the lifestyle. Like I say again, the lifestyle of people. So whether you are really like uh, inverse where you want to stay at home only, you want to play games or something like that. So farming definitely not, it's not your game. <laughs> yeah. Because so, there's, there's a yeah. life in plants. <laughs> yes. Uh, so so yeah. it's not for everyone, I would say. I think it goes uh, back. It's workable. Yeah, I think it goes back to like understanding which purpose are you doing it for. So like if you're going to like a community and say, hey guys, you should do this. But then they're in the understanding of, you know, they're doing it to sell, but then the system doesn't allow for that, for example. So there's that misalignment of the intention and the execution. Or yeah. like they think they want to grow for social, but then you as the product uh, developer or whatever, you want them to grow to sell. Uh, so mm -hmm. they don't put in the amount of effort and stuff like that. So when it kind of doesn't align, that's the problem. And like that is another layer of labor because that is politicking basically, right? It's like, how do you get people to kind of invest their time into it the way you kind of see it? Or how, how do you make them make the decision? Um, that kind of thing. So I think like it kind of goes back to how you do community work in a sense, mm -hmm. um, because unless you're employing people, then that's fine, right? Yeah, but, true. but with, with yeah. stuff like this, like where are you going to get the funding to employ people, really? Uh, unless you get some kind of angel investor. Um, but so, so if you're using you know, the power of the people, it will take time. Uh, and I think a lot of time and patience. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah. so, sorry, Hazik, I wanted to ask because you have been involving in uh, very large. Uh, scale of farming and that farming is not for leisure purpose or not for 
tour, uh, eco-tourism or recreational purpose because they are belongs by the farmers in Kelantan, right? So those are the, the, the real deal for the, <laughs> for the farmers. So, right. so how does that, how does it apply into like cultivating, let's say farmers in KL, for example, because in creating the kind of compulsory elements, then you can't escape it because someone will must do that because it's their job kind of thing. So yes. how do, do, you, do you see that to, to realize in KL in a way? Because I, 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 you know, in, 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 uh, in UK or even in Malaysia, you, you, you have courtyards and allotments. So yeah. that kind of, I believe that maybe follow farms, maybe they are doing in that way, like one taman, they have one playground. Maybe I just take part of it to do that, maybe. No, sure. follow farm has a big farm. It's an actual farm. Yeah. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's a farmland, yes. But your question, I mean, I was in Kelantan for about maybe 10 months. Um, kind of engaging with, like you say, real deal farmers. Um, the reason I, like, I came back to KL was, honestly, I missed the city life. And, <laughs> but then it was also because I saw potential in... Because um, one of the main issues with farming nowadays is the lack of youth involvement. So how do you get younger people to get involved? Because it's a hard job, not much pay, not much reward. Mm. Uh, it's not exactly seen as something glamorous. But I, there, there is a potential there, you know, especially like now you see a lot of younger people into it. Um, and I think when you bring technology into it, that, that's when it gets a bit exciting. Although I'm not entirely sure, but uh, on, on the kind of whether it's sustainable in the long run, but, you know, you need to experiment to find out. Um, so when I say technology, I mean stuff like either automation or um, you know, smart systems where they can react to the environment, mm. uh, but on its own. And I think that's something young people can get behind. Um, I think there's also this element of um, a higher lifestyle. So kind of supplying uh, high-end produce to high-end restaurants. I think that excites young people um, and stuff like that. I, so yeah, I think there's definitely potential for it in an urban setting, but the the kind of the thinking behind it is very, very different. I do not really see it as something mm. of subsistence unless you're looking at like, you know, low-cost flats or slum areas or, you know, uh, migrant workers, that kind of stuff. But that's a whole different ballgame. That's, that's a mm. whole different thing to look at. Mm. Um, but yeah. And speaking of the high tech, uh, I mean, technology is not really a, you know, it's not, it's not a threat. It is actually helping at some point for those people, you know, especially they have never engaged to um, self-farming, self-initiated farming. So Kim, would you like to share a little bit on the role of AVF, uh, Association of Vertical Farming, in that case to allow people to join in the crowds or, you know, the majority, the mass crowd to, you know, to cultivate their the understanding of urban farming and also what are the products available for them to, you know, to, to easier, to make them easier, much more easier to accessible to this uh, apparatus and also this culture, this movement. Okay. Um, so basically AVF is, uh, I, I know about this association when I was doing the, my master uh, thesis. So I came across their, their publication about, stuff like vertical farming and they have a very good glossary and also white paper about uh, what is uh, what is actually vertical farming about and what kind of technology is involved uh, how can you do it 
who are doing it, that, that kind of uh, information is available there. So it became like a, um, a reference for me to, to really understand the vertical farming setting. So from then, I slowly built a relationship with them and slowly uh, get to like know about what they are doing more. So now they are actually like pushing the idea of vertical farming even further by like um, doing different expo. Um, they have expo, they have summit. So they have even courses available, but uh, very focused on Europe for now. Mm. They are still very Europe-based. So in Southeast Asia, definitely not much of activities around, but uh, they had also engaged at AgroBank, which is our uh, agricultural bank, and uh, established a good relationship with them. So they also hope to uh, have a presence in uh, Southeast Asia where it is a, a, a very good starting point for uh, like people who is in Southeast Asia to start this thing. But of course, uh, we know that Southeast Asia, there's a cultural obstacles, I would say, is the lifestyle of us where we don't really mind mm. eating what, uh, like even if there's a lot of pesticide and then we say there's a lot of pesticide because of the cost is very cheap, we're still willing to buy it <laughs> rather than we are afraid of pesticide. So the understanding about the food safety itself is uh, a thing that we need to like tackle la, to understand what's the pesticide and how what's the harm that uh, is causing uh, because of the overuse of pesticide. So that's the I think that's the point where we can really uh, penetrate into people's heart and to really get them to understand. But definitely that requires time for us to digest. And then for AVF, there's also uh, they have also like data centers, uh, data based on uh, different uh, uh, players, industry players, small and big um, within the community. So they share the resources, share the news about what's the latest news on vertical farming, like the big players like Aero Farms in the US, the big one or the biggest, or so like Senan Bio, who really do big projects with like architects in uh, mm. maybe Dubai, Taiwan, and the Denmark. Uh, so they have this um, interesting business whereby before they set the the vertical farm business, or I would say indoor farm, very intensive farming businesses, they have this very thorough uh, feasibility study mm. where they really study on how or uh, what what crops are people eating, consuming, and what's the culture. And once they are very sure and they set up, they really uh, make sure that the business is profitable like within a year or so. Mm. So it's a very um, different ball game, I would say. You really need to think differently on this level whereby you, you are building a centralized farm for the urban city to like, supply the, uh, uh, the, the crops for the urban city consumption. Mm. and uh, the skill itself the uh, economy and also the the capital that is required for the setup is really a different level uh, from a, from an individual perspective mm. so uh, really you need to understand the whole picture uh, from the very big players until the very small and then see which part you are comfortable with or, or you are interested with then you can like uh, try it out 
and see uh, where it takes you. Yeah, I, I think there's still a lot of space for newcomers. Lah. If anyone's yeah. interested, there's so much space for you wherever you want to position yourself. Um, so, for example, like um, in Malaysia, each Shoots and Roots, they do like, they started off by doing kind of consultancy of helping people set up their urban gardens. But they are now also selling products, you know, tried and tested products so that they can come and install or in your house or whatever it is. Um, but then there's also that that space for you to make your own because they're not exactly hyper efficient at the moment. You know the products on the market, uh, they're not exactly affordable. So there's a lot of things you can still hack, and I think that's where the the challenge, the interesting challenge is. So many things you can hack. Mm. Yeah, I think like interests and roots, uh, they are more social enterprise. They are yeah. also registered social enterprise, so their their positioning is different. Rather than a like intensive commercial farm, they are not that yeah. positioning. They are yeah. more of like social engaging and uh, awareness kind of uh, company. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Kim, would you like to briefly share about the 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 brand or the company that you are partnering with, the so that we can log on to the website to check it out the tools or the, you know, or the the, the products. Oh yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, the name is Urban Farm Tech. Okay. So Urban Farm Tech. So it's quite easy. Uh, Tech is T E C H. So you can just search it out. Uh, um, it's actually um service provider. So there's in-house like in-house design uh, tools for aquaponics and also hydroponics. So there's a range of products, uh, uh, ranging from I think 500 ringgit until uh, five figures also have lah, mm-hmm. which is customizable. So 500 ringgit is the balcony version of it. It's a small and uh, very easily maintained. Uh, I would say mm. you just throw any seeds. Basically, we use a uh say a water water pill, something a water water storage thing and then on top of it there's a tray where we put the uh, the what do you call that again <laughs> the the <laughs> the pieces uh, where the round pieces okay the clay the clay clay pieces like capsule where yeah. you yeah yeah you just put the seeds on it and it will automatically grow so um it's a replacement so for the, soil basically yeah like it re- it's retains not, the it's water it's a water base it's a water-based farming. So it's very easy to maintain us because you just need to pour the AB solution, which we also provided. And uh, it uh, proven to be um, 100% working if you are following the instruction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also, of course, the sunlight needs to be uh, sufficient. Uh. And we will actually ask about your balcony direction or where you want to put the uh, setup. So we can actually advise you like how much of the uh, sunlight do you actually have, the hours of sunlight. So usually we recommend like six hours mm. at least to have a very healthy vegetables. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll set up the, I'll put in the website then, the, the link so that yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, we, can, we can visit it. Sorry, Hazik, you want to say something? Is it? 
Okay, okay. <laughs> cool. So this is just one business that Kim been busy himself with. Apart from that, later on, we can talk about go doers, but perhaps we can talk about the architectural profession. Um, so I was reading up to this document by RIBAs. Uh, I believe they prepared it back in like 2013 or 14. They were talking about what's next for the architects. They are visualizing what are the positions or roles of architects in 2030, which is very not, it's very, very close. It's another 10 years. So they were saying that architecture profession is going to be quite obsolete in a certain way. It's going to be quite outdated in a, you know, by a conventional uh, setting and also the business model and also direction. So maybe later on, Hazi can add top in, you know, because I believe Hazi and I share kind of uh, a little bit optimistic, a little bit of pessimistic about this profession as well, <laughs> even though we are both still working on uh, uh, in, in this industry. So you yourself are, you know, currently are marching away to, you know, become a registered, you know, professional architect. So what what is your, what is your st stance in this case? Because how do you see? Because that's, that's probably why one of the reasons I remember on an article saying, um, you know, if you wanted to do a full architects, if not, you know, too commercial, like big developers projects, you just depending on some, you know, bungalows or some small interior projects, you're going to depend on some side business, like what you are doing now. So what do you think? Do you think that we have to fit in by some extra incomes, for example, to sustain yourself? Um, I think, first of all, I need to do a disclaimer that I, I didn't get any income from architecture. <laughs> <laughs> so my income basically from, from other things that I'm right. doing right now. So architecture to me is uh, a skill set, I would say, rather than a, 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 a thing that I use to depend on uh, for salaries or for income. Hmm. Uh, it's a skill set that uh, whether on how I want to utilize it is really depends on what kind of business I want to build because uh, definitely I'm, I'm always hoping to like start my own business, which I'm doing now. So I'm looking at how actually I can use the architectural skills that I have, like doing planning, design, uh, managing uh, contracts orientation. and uh, <laughs> yeah, orientation, doing what, simulation, that kind of thing. So, so this, this skill set, uh, where can I be uh, applying it on the real life context? Uh, beside really need to like set up an architectural practice and really become a registered architect. So that re also requires a lot of time to an effort to uh, like build up this, uh, the, I would say, uh, the experience and also the, the qualification. So before I get into before I get my hand on that registered uh, professional architect, what can I do? So my 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 personal view is that um, I'm trying to like find a niche in this field where I think urban farming is a niche that I think is workable and uh, is relevant. Because I also uh, I think I I I saw a video uh, interview video interviewing the founder of uh, Social Capital, one of the biggest uh, venture capitalists, uh, also uh, named Chamath, Mr. Chamath, uh, also ex-VP of Facebook. So he actually says, uh, says this, uh, this uh, statement, whereby uh, the next trillionaire in the world will be coming from climate change industry. Mm. So 
the industry that is tackling climate change will actually bond a new trillionaire rather than billionaire. So it's another very big business that's going to happen in maybe 10 years time or 20 years time. And the next statement that he did, uh, he said is that uh, something like that uh, is architecture is actually going to be less value because architecture is a victim of climate change. Mm. I really disagree. So I'm pondering on why did he say that? So he actually uh, provided some like explanation on that. Mm-hmm. Whereby he says that uh, architecture um, has a range of things where it provides spaces for usage, different usage. Mm. And also one of the cause of having like a lot of greenhouse gases emission, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it relates back to like sustainability and also the focus on whether we are focusing on architecture or are we focusing on other things. So my thought is that his statement is uh, there's no right and wrong. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the, the, the essence of his statement is about what does the people of 2030 or 2050 are focusing on? Mm. Are they looking into architecture or are they looking into like tech or are they looking on uh, improving the climate? Or even like for me, education or food, agriculture, this, uh, this uh, range of topics. So if they, these people, 2030 and 2050, these future people are looking into and focus on this. So the resources that is available in the future will be poor in this, this field. Mm. So this field will definitely will be the, one of the like, hottest thing happening uh, like in 2050. Mm. So if architecture is not gaining that attention or focus that much in comparison to like the 80s or 70s, so um, it will be uh, discouraging, of course, because you are seeing that oh, other people are doing so good. Huh? Why? Huh? The salary is so high. Wow. Mm. Doing that, that good, so many money coming in and, and we are like struggling again and again. Why this profession is not like putting us at a very good position. Uh, but I don't know because uh, it's a speculation anyway. But so architecture, we need to put ourselves in the position that where we need to be relevant in 2030 or 2050 in the future. So how to be relevant is the key question. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't know, I, I disagree with that first statement very strongly because um, <laughs> every, I mean, every industry should be tackling climate crisis, you know? Mm. Like there, there isn't one industry that we're engaged in that shouldn't be looking at that. There isn't like a specific industry that is looking at it. The, in my opinion, anyway, architecture should be looking at it. Engineering mm. should be at it education should be looking at it journalism should be looking into it it should be taken as a baseline for everything we do from now on Mm. um you know i don't know like that kind of statement that you know the the climate change industry is going to be three trillion no the the climate change industry is every industry we engage in Mm. sorry i yeah, yeah. I, I just wanted to add on a little bit on the, you know, I want to declare a little bit because I would say the priority of, you know, the successful profession is not defined by how rich uh, a professional architect can be or how rich a, you know, of course, there are different kind of architects. If they wanted to make money through architecture, go for it. They are happy with that, right? But um, perhaps some of us, they are not looking at the success, successful rate in a way 
how many money that we can make. It is about how many impact or how many, you know, so, so called the happiness we create for the users, the space, you know, the, the environment that is uh, useful and also the, the right atmosphere for the people to live in. So, so I, I believe that, you know, architecture, you know, if, if we, we, we shouldn't, I mean, for me, like, you know, I, I, I don't think architecture is a, is a really thing that if you wanted to make money, then it's totally different ballgame because it is going to be a development, it's going to be very estate developers pro, uh, projects, it's not going to be like architecture-ish because architecture is going to be just like helping doing a little bit. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like taking the lead, you know, the, the, the lead is going to lead by the, the, the developers, by the, <laughs> the estate, estate industry players. What do you guys I mean, think? I, I think that applies to everything. And I think like for me anyway, the, the, the challenge and what drives me is how do you, how are you able to balance all those things? Mm. So for the longest time, like I looked at Elon Musk, you know, well, he, he has a bad name nowadays, but if you look at what he's doing, the kind of businesses that he engages in, um, it's all driven by impact, but how do you kind of play within the systems, within this capitalist system um, to to drive the biggest impact, right? So pushing forward um, alternative energy, so solar solar energy um, and electrical vehicles, and let's not talk about the Mars thing, but, um, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and and how do you make your business? Because I don't think you, I don't think it's, it's a, for, for me anyway, the priority is not money, but it's also not just, you know, being a good person. But how do mm. you do both? How can I make money by being a good person? Mm. How can I be a good person by making money? How do you balance all these things, right? Once, if you can hit that, I think that's that's what you're living the life already, lah. <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Because <laughs> I would say um, um, one thing to add on uh, is that um, architecture to me, that's why I say that architecture is a skill set that I think I, I will use it, like not for like, money generating kind of thingy to 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 term it but it's a it's a it's a skill set that enables me to like um engage with people and also provide solutions that is relevant for them and also uh delivers uh impact that is uh helping the environment helping the people especially mm. where where I, I'm interested with is the education and also the health, right, which is the food, because I love food, I love to eat. So yeah. that's why I'm into it. So there's two, two, two focus that I have, which is education and also makan-makan. Mm. So architecture to me is like, how can I use this architectural skills on these two things that I love? Mm. So rather than um, I need to go through all contract management uh, construction everything that sort of thing doesn't really excite me that much mm-hmm. as compared to education and food so i would say that it really depends on us who are using this tool rather than the tool uh define us so we need to like, take the tool and really use it in our own means uh. If you don't mind me asking, are you still kind of thinking of pursuing part three, or is that just like out of out of the picture now? He's doing now. Uh, oh, you're doing. I already. Right I already. He's waiting for result. I'm waiting for a result. Oh wow! Okay, congrats. But and, but and but luck. I believe that 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 doesn't mean that he will he will 
do it like a full as a, I don't know, it's a full monetary thing. Of course, I believe he, he I, I believe Kim is doing part three, you know, as also contributed by the fact that he's also personal interest as well, I believe. As a being. I think it's artist. a journey. Uh, so um, understanding the whole industry, how to practice, how to become an architect, architect. Mm. It's the like fundamental thing to to at least I, I should know before I really like um, venture into architecture and like uh, finding the niche area that I can uh, position my, myself in and uh, term myself as like architecture plus something something that is mm. um, unique and uh, I would say it's interesting because like, you, you can actually play around and now it's like you I have the opportunity because I'm not like um, related or like connected uh, with any companies so I'm all alone and I'm, I'm free to really try to find the, the, the space that I want to be in mm. um, so 2020 I would say it's like self-defining year for me <laughs> yeah I think as, I think for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, because in the report also saying in the future architects gonna be a different it's gonna be quite different. It's not gonna be different. I mean, from COVID we can already see, you know, uh it depends on a lot of online learning, uh, a different kind of channel. Even though you wanted to define the fact that we don't need money, but we still need money to eat and stuff, right? We still need to pay the mortgage. So anyway, so that's that's where you know the realistic part. Like, I mean, uh, whether you accept it or not, it still comes to you. Um, so next, perhaps before we you know goes to go to the, I would like to share one question. In there's this very controversial and viral topic on Penang. Let's talk about the big proposal maybe we can briefly talk about it very very briefly because um there comes to a point where a lot of people they don't agree with the project of course due to the environmental concern but apart from that we should should we should we accept it with the open hand in a way to open with more you know uh ideas and also um foreign designers to come in and to you know maybe to trigger our talents or our thoughts to do that. So what do you guys think? Has it want to go first? Is it, is it, it uh, uh, I think just you, can go, you, you can go first. <laughs> okay, okay, sure. Um, I think uh, Gary did mention about this topic to me before. So I also did some digging <laughs> on how, how to justify on this. So um, my second point is this. Uh, whether this decision uh, is uh, beneficial for the locals or not in like 10 years time. So if the value brought by this development is like 10 times or like 100 times uh, in comparison of not doing anything or doing it slowly, so it's definitely worth a leap of faith la, on this kind of project. Because mm. uh, it's like a destructor in, in terms of like the... Uh, the already uh, very slow-moving culture and also development in Penang itself. So if it is able to bring some spark into the economy and also to the talent, local talent, so definitely it's, it is worth a try. Because mm -hmm. we are seeing that um, 
even in Malaysia itself, like, uh, it's very slow in comparison to other Southeast Asia countries like Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam. They are, do, they are moving really, really fast and we are like falling behind a lot. So mm. definitely we are, we are really in need of things that really can push it forward. So if this development is uh, getting a lot of uh, attraction from like foreign talents to come in to Penang to like set up uh, companies or to set up their HQ here. So it's definitely worth a try. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely, uh, it really depends on how the politicians also play the cards. <laughs> <laughs> so it's another topic. And also right. another case study, like, which is Singapore. So you think, uh, Singapore, if it's, you, you really realize it, that they already urbanized 95% of their land. So mm-hmm. meaning to say they have only 5% conserved so-called forests or anything like green. Not so. Yeah, so <laughs> so if you think Singapore can achieve that kind of like um amazing achievement uh, in in the world in the world uh, altar, so if Penang is doing so, why why stop it? Mm. If it can become another in Singapore, why not? It's it's good for us, right? If la, if 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 ah, the if ambition la, is that la. direction, uh... okay. If the direction is that, then why not? La? But how about yeah. you, Hazik? Because I believe you being a so-called part-time environmentalist. So what do you think of it? Part-time. <laughs> we should all be full-time. Yeah, the full-time. <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think, I don't know. What's what's the actual question? <laughs> well, I mean, just general general thought on the 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 BIG competition. I I mean, overall, by the nature, yeah, the economy of the competition, not not really targeting on the winner, <laughs> Right. I think you know. I think it's good. Um, I mean, it has already happened. It is what mm. it is. Um, I think it's good that, you know, they were able to at least spark a lot of conversation. At least we know where people stand. Mm. We know where the public stands, what the public uh, likes or doesn't like. Because, uh, you know, people in architecture can sometimes be in their own bubble. Whether this, they disagree or agree with something, they, it tends to echo. Um, so to hear, you know, some people, a, a lot of people are not exactly opposed to that to that idea. Um, but I think it is a lot of politicking as well, which is a bit annoying, but we can't do anything about it. Mm. Um, in the end, honestly, I'm, I, I don't feel too affected by the competition because I'm cynical that it would ever happen. I think it's more of a, a move for now and uh, mostly for politics. And I don't think which is interesting, right? Using urban design and architecture as a tool for politics, mm, mm. Uh, as a tool for narrative, which I think that's all it's going to be. We've been talking about like uh, this, the, the railway linking the East Coast for how yeah. many years is it happening? I don't know, man. But it's definitely still there as a talking point for politics. And I think, you know, this thing for Penang, for me anyway, that's, that's all it's going to be. It's going to be talk. Um, mm. If it happens, then okay, it happens. And then we'll have to reevaluate. Um, but talking about Singapore, like I think Singapore is interesting because even, even talking about like urban farming, um, they, they, they rolled out like what we talked about, you know, low cost flats and stuff. They rolled out um, the initiative for urban gardens in their HDBs, in their so- social housing to encourage people. So they give like uh, funding and whatever. But they're able to do all these things because of the way their government and society is set up 
so in that way, I'm slightly grateful that we have more leeway and more like, you know, more freedoms. Mm. Uh, please don't cancel me, Singaporeans. But um, <laughs> because once, once you go Singaporean, you never go back. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think we have a lot of space. I, I do agree with Kim that we are way behind. Um, but also, I think we're just hard on ourselves. I think Malaysians are hard on ourselves because we love Malaysia mm. and we want to see it, you know, go somewhere that it's not going yet. But, you know, we need to like redirect this energy into actually, I don't know, something productive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But I, I am definitely concerned that we don't pay attention to the, to the environmental crisis as much mm. as maybe we should. Mm. Um, more so from the leaders, I think. Uh, and also the policy making part as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, so we're going to move on to the next chapter. So, Hazik, you're leaving, is it? Okay, bye. Sorry, see you I, then. Thanks Thanks I, a lot, Hazik. Thank, thanks for the conversation. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for having you, Hazik. All right, see you. Bye. Um, so we are moving on to the last part before we end this session. So we're going to talk about Go Doodle. It's actually a uh, workshop, right? It's, it's actually like a website and also the um, learning platform for the students uh, to, to learn about drawing. What draws your interest into this, Kim? Okay, um, basically I started this on during the uh, lockdown period, which is around April. So, so is, there's actually a conversation between, with my friend who is, uh, happened to be the founder of uh, Chaos Sketch Nation. Uh, it's actually a non-profit organization mm. for like, art enthusiasts to do urban sketching in Kale or any other parts of the world. So, um, it's actually promoting arts. So one of their activities is like they go to rural areas to like teach mm. uh, students, teach the kids about arts, how mm. to express themselves. So from that experience, uh, the, he actually shared with me that um, this experience really opens up opportunities for the students to really uh, in love with the school. Because usually they don't like to go to school and it's quite boring because of the curriculum. So if it's like arts or even urban farming, it really excites them, the, the students to come to school to see the progress, to, mm. to play with the uh, colors, with the materials, with the plants as well. So I think the, 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 the starting point is the same, whereby this kind of uh, activities can actually spark interest and also the curiosity to learn. Mm. So that uh, that really inspired me, and then slowly until lockdown, where I'm doing anything that can earn me money <laughs> <laughs> at that time, at that point of time, and uh, so I happened to like f- uh, have a spark in my mind whereby I say, why not uh, I do a platform where I can connect with the teachers, all the artists that is on the KL Sketch Nation, the platform, mm. uh, the organization. Because uh, I also heard they are saying that uh, they, they want to earn extra because of the lockdown. There's restriction on like, having art class physically. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of uh, issues going on. And uh, online education is definitely the way to go. Right. And, and then that's where I start and want to try it out to see how far I can go with this idea. So right. it happens to like, 
sustained until now. <laughs> right. So, so the platform was born due to the effect of COVID nineteen, or 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 is it because before that you already thought that you wanted to do a physical classes but obstructed by the COVID nineteen? So before that, you wanted to you know come out like a set, you know, art and urban farming goes together into school. Is it? Uh. Okay. Before that is actually I'm more focused on urban farming. Right. Rather than having the thoughts of about arts and education, because education, I'm more of like, uh, I'm I'm trying to be like part time lecturer actually. Right. To be uh to be frank uh where I try to apply for like architecture schools to to try on um teaching about architecture, but in the end there's like uh the staff is like um too many staff with mm. too little students because of the lockdown. Mm. So I couldn't get a job on that. So it, it, it really drives me to think of what kind of education that I can do in this period of time mm. where I can really like earn money plus I can be in the education field. So that slowly uh, drives me into this direction where uh, art and creativity and also education is... The, the place that I can go. Mm. Mm. Uh, that so and then I have this like influence or connection with artists, whereby I always have in, uh, interaction and communication with them. So there's conversation on like how they are pushing arts uh, in different direction, like doing murals, doing mm. education, teaching mm. arts class, and so on. So all of this uh, conversation slowly accumulates up becomes part of my inspiration on right. doing this right okay so and 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 that's that comes to the real inspiration of the real business <laughs> that's where I actually realized in the end um you did mention earlier you did share with me earlier is that the tutors the teachers of the the learning platform they are actually like sketchers you know they they urban sketchers they could be from uh, art teachers but I'm curious about what about the crowd? Are they mostly uh, what 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 levels are available for the customers? Is it for beginners level or is it available for the you know amateur and also intermediate and professional later on? Right. Um. So uh, on this part, I actually have a few strategies and also a few like um, brainstorming with my partners mm. on this how to actually launch a a, a single product. I would say. It's, it's actually simpler to launch a single product than having a range of it. Mm, mm. So what is the first product that we want to launch? So the thought of having a beginner one, which is more easier to mm. approach. And the majority are beginners, so easier to tackle. And also the teachers are actually from different like states and different backgrounds, but mostly they are well-trained in terms of like art. Mm. So either they are experience in it or they are educated in art degree mm. or even a diploma so mm. uh, I personally will vet through them and see how they can like uh, perform in terms of like teaching how they deliver how is their communication skills and how mm. is their drawing so all of this have to be read through and the quality to be ensured before I launch the product so in the end we we uh, set our target to be uh, tackling the kids, which is the primary school kids, mm-hmm. uh, aging from like six years old to like twelve years old. Okay. So you uh naturally our target will be parents, mothers especially. 
So during our launch, we target on the parents and also adults. But uh, in the end, uh, it turns out to be more adults signing up than kids. Right. And slowly, uh, the kids starting to like um, getting off because of uh, the the online classes is starting up because of the new regula- uh, new uh, rules coming down from the ministry that mm. the school need to needs to do uh, online education class. So they are actually overwhelmed by um, online classes, the kids. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, if I'm actually providing another online class, which is art, and they actually give me feedback, uh, very honest feedback that they are very tired. <laughs> they are like facing the, the computer for, for a very long time, man. Right, right. Uh, so they are very tired. So they rather go and play something which is not like with screen. They rather go like play music. Uh do like mm. uh, sports in at home rather than facing the screen. So I would say, uh, then it is a wrong crowd that I should be tackling. Mm. So slowly I changed my target to like adults who are like interested to start, but lack of confidence to start. Mm. So now um, my main customers are aging from like 30 years old to even 60 years old, where oh, okay. they are interested in starting arts, but they are lacking of confidence. So our class is like very customizable and very friendly. So it's like a companion uh, with you and uh, lead you through, guide okay. you through the uh, right. process of creating arts. So it's like a so tutorial based. Yeah, it's like a tutorial based kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe we can close up this uh, session with like, what is the next step for, you know, for go do those perhaps things will be changing, but you, you will, will be way improving better in, you know, as uh, COVID-19 slows down. Perhaps you can have physical classes, it will be much more engaging. But apart from that, have you ever thought like, you know, work, workshops like crafts and also the other sector side products that allows the students to learn more than just drawings? I think, uh, okay. Actually, um, go to the ones to in, involve all the things that are related to creativity. So mm-hmm. that involves crafts, even culinaries, even like singing or video editing or even 3D modeling. Everything that it relates to creativity, I will um, like gather it under GoDoodle. But mm-hmm. definitely drawing is the easiest and most basic um, skill to actually teach and learn. Right. So we start uh, from sketching, which is doodling. So we have doodling, color pencil, and also watercolor, which is very basic and easily accessible. Uh. So you don't need to buy like very expensive mm. software or computer to like start with. Mm. So from there, slowly we build the customer base and also the uh, teacher teacher group as well. Mm. And uh, hopefully uh, by this year, we actually gain a, a very solid batch of students and also teachers uh, who really can deliver and also enjoying the process of learning. Mm. So I'm saying that 2021 is a good year for us to expand our product base, mm. which is um, going into more advanced level of teaching right. into specific um, skill sets. So that's interest uh, from like even 3D modelers, uh, digital painting, that mm. kind of thing. I think everyone, uh, the the people who are doing this is interested in providing classes because it's like extra income plus you can actually meet people who are interested in mm. this kind of thing. 
So it's social plus it's uh, monetary rewarding. So um, it's very, I would say, uh, I, I, I'm very optimistic about this mm. uh, development. Mm, cool. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Sharing. Thanks for your sharing, uh, Kim. I I hope yeah. all the best to you, and I'm quite looking forward to the you know the growth of Go Doodles. <laughs> so yeah, before, thanks, thanks. So so the last question is uh maybe a request. I'm not really a question, but do you mind to throw a question to our audience who are listening in? Um, this question could be you know he he you know the listeners can ask himself or herself. So it could be anything. Yeah, it's just up to you to you know instead of giving an advice. <laughs> I think um, I will throw a question uh, that's going on in my head right. in 2020, which is um, who I am. Uh, the, the easiest one is who I am, or I will term it as what I am going to do in like 10 years or 20 years or even forever. Mm. That, that's anything that I can do like forever without feeling like bored or exhausted hmm. so anything that i can do uh which will lead me to the end of my life right so that's the quest or that's the question that i keep asking about uh to, to myself so i ended up with some answers which revolves around like education and right. also agriculture right, right so so that's where I'm trying, like my my, I dipping myself into the field and see how it goes for me. Right, that's a very far yeah. vision. Even though it's putting out, we we can't even predict tomorrow. But but it's yeah, worth yeah. thinking. Definitely, it's worth thinking because that's where the imagination plays into your head. So thanks, thanks so much, Kim, and uh, for wonderful sharing, and thanks for everyone for staying out with us. So um, now I will open up the Q and A session. So anyone who would like to ask him or what would like to share some thoughts. We have been talking about architectural profession and go do those and as well as urban farming. So feel free to let us know what do you think. Uh, you, you can turn off your mind and then, uh, you know, we, we can engage with the speaker. So I, I, I'm not sure because we have been talking about very, quite a, quite a practical topics. It's not really like, you know, um, uh, like, like a student projects. Yeah, so I'm not sure what do you guys think. I mean, William, William, maybe William or what? Or Victor, oh, Victor is here. Oh, it's very nice to see Victor here. Sue, Sue is, Sue is here as well. Yeah. Any, any questions? Would you like to raise up? No. <laughs> but I think- Why oh, is it very tiring to hear? <laughs> the it's been one half hour. <laughs> so I'm not sure what do they think. But I think, I, I know, yo, oh yeah, hi, Victor. Hi, yeah, uh, thanks for sharing. Uh, it's interesting to hear about. But uh, uh, you, I, you were mentioning something about Penang becoming the next Singapore. That's a vision that you think most Malaysians have at the moment to, in terms of uh, not just uh, through urban farming, but also through the arts. Do you see, have you looked into Singapore and how they approached um, education of the arts and how they engage kids? Are there, what is art? What, well, what, what, what's, what is it like that? What is their strategy? What are the, What's the go doodle in Singapore? Is there a similar equivalent. equivalent? You think it's going on? We're not okay. 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 Because okay, uh, I'm quite curious. Breaking all that. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I, I mean, I have attended one of Kelsat's Nation's uh, workshop, but um, mm -hmm. I feel like uh, it doesn't seem to be pushing any boundaries. When it's, I mean, if you mention kids, it's a it's a target market because they're beginners. 
Mm. But uh, how do you choose to expand from there if it's beyond doodling, you know? How do you want to actually integrate the two when you start to merge, uh, let's say, urban farming with the arts? Mm. Do you ever see that that coming together as one, integrating mm. somehow? Oh, that's a very interesting oh, oh, thing, the integration. There's a lot between... of questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mainly how, yeah. There's a lot of questions. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> a bit long-winded. Um, I think urban farming and, uh, and arts itself can become... Um, there's a mutual ground uh, for both of them. So, for example, like, like uh, wall planting, vertical planting. So, you have like that kind of like artistic planting with like moss of different kind of ferns. So, it makes your interior to be very aesthetically appealing. Mm. So, that, that's one kind of thing uh, that I can think of which combines uh, farming not really farming, I would say, is vegetation and also arts. So, whereas for, for like Penang becoming Singapore, um, I'm still uh, mm-hmm. that's, reserving that's, some thoughts about it. Uh. Yeah, that's that's actually the, the thought from the politician. La. It's not really, I mean, they actually stated, yeah, the, they're saying that they wanted to be, a, you know, an island of industry 4.0, things like that. Yeah, so that's he says, so easy, man. <laughs> yeah, you think so yeah. easy, man. There are way to go. Yeah. <laughs> there are way, way long to go. Yeah, you hear like Mahathir, even Mahathir Cyberjaya is not doing that. Yeah. So-called yeah. Silicon Valley thing. Yeah. <laughs> still still very, yeah. um, not really uh, Silicon Valley yet. Could be like still a brain, they could be still be a brain drain. That many of the talents are actually somewhat, not actually uh, collectively coming together to, you know, they're not really opening up to setting a platform. Mm. But uh, just a general question, what, what, do you, what is art to you? I mean, there's a very vague and big question, but how, how do you see art? What, what, apart from it being just an act of drawing or doodling or a skill set, what, what do you think art does, a part of being like an aesthetic thing? Yeah. Um, uh, if, if it's personally, um, I would mm. say art is, uh, is uh, something like... A, mm, it fills up my gap, I would say, my personal mind gap where I have nothing, I'm lost or something like um, I'm very depressed or I'm feeling very lost or don't know what to do. So art itself, it can be music, it can be like movie, it can be even drawing. Something that is without boundaries, without like constraint on you need to do this and that. Because art is like very free and flexible. Mm. So you are free to um, experience and uh, immerse in the arts and uh, try to find yourself. So so I think that's what art stands for me. Mm. And whereas mm. for for my audience, for go to the so I call them go to the list. So I, I will always say that uh, creativity is trainable. So creativity is about um, you having to know a lot of things you expose yourself with a lot of experience and also knowledge. And then you try to mix it around like cocktail. And then you mm. find the best cocktail, the best taste, best uh, texture that you have, mm. and you serve mm. it up. Mm. So that's art. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank it's you. very personal, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, your personal cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Customized. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Thanks a lot, Victor. Thanks. Really, really yeah. good to see you here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for sharing. <laughs> right. Thanks. So, great. It's a great form. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. We got Sue and William. They are both uh, students. I'm not sure if they have any thoughts. 
How about Juan? Because I think we have talked about architectural profession quite, quite, quite in a daring move, even though we are not practicing as long yeah, as yeah. <laughs> like, like, good 20 or 30 years. <laughs> So I'm not sure. Eric, uh, the, the, I'm not sure you can hear me because uh, Sue and yeah, I yeah, are yeah. sharing our Loud words. and clear. Yeah, I think both uh, both uh, Kim and who was it again? Hadik had been uh, dealing with, I think, a very urgent, uh, uh, I, would, I wouldn't say career, but it's a kind of uh, uh, vocation, which I think is the future, you know, a uh, vocation, mm. you know, whatever you might say. Uh, to be passionate about the right things for the future. Mm. I think, you know, if you were interested in uh, farming, so, well, I just want to touch on this idea that, you know, you talk about Penang, for example. Mm. I mean, uh, it's, it's how you cut the cake, isn't it? If you look at uh, architects, right, we end up with plots of land that has already been demarcated for X. Uh, it's a school, you know, and then Y is for an office. Mm. Uh, what about F for farming, you know? So the I, I take it that in Penang, and we have an opportunity to integrate what I call uh, uh, the master plan of the, the utopian master plan should really have, uh, instead of uh, we urbanites having to kind of bring the farm into our houses, we should have the farm uh, already there, you know? Uh, mm. So the, I always take it that architects and uh, landscape architects as well, we miss the whole show when uh, our so-called master planners, uh, the urban planners, we forget this profession called uh, town planners, you know, they, mm. they have been forgotten. They, they vanished from our mm. minds. Uh, but they, they, I think, um, I think they, they do the, the most damage in terms of urbanization mm. because uh, we're not with plots of land with uh, very little open space. And um, I think the future uh, lies in how uh, governance, you know, governance comes from like you, you, you put the blame on developers, but you know, developers uh, uh, they try to raise the economy with mm. whatever plot of land they get. But you know, I think governance means like when you cut the cake, right, as you do in Penang, let's say uh, 35% of what they're developing right now is farming, you know, real farming. I mean, I'm talking about not bits and pieces of paper here and there and a bit of weekly wires, you know, not, no, no, dis not, no disrespect for what Kim is doing, but, you know, we're talking about the future. We can't, we can't just feed ourselves, you know, we, 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 farming is not about feeding, about eating, you know, farming is uh, going out there, uh, muddy boots and uh, taking out your hole, listening to the birds and, uh, you know, engaging nature. You know, if you look at the work of uh, Fukuoka, a Japanese philosopher who talks about, you know, nature is in its best form when you don't touch it, when you leave it to become what it is. And you could organize nature, but you you don't want to bring nature into a condominium, you know. And uh, mm. and I think the town planning is where it starts. I think um, my take on architecture is there will always be a place for us, but we don't take the 100%. Mm. You know, architecture must never take the 100%. Uh, we should take maybe a 40%, you know, or whatever the balance is required. And, um, you know, maybe up to 30% should be open, open, uh, open farm, open land, in which um, you can get all the three levels, like uh, what Hafik was saying, you can get all the three uh, levels of uh, farming happening. Mm. You can get the one which are the real hardcore, you know, uh, milking cows and, you know, uh, growing uh, chicken, you know, chicken and and then you get the middle one where you got entrepreneurs, or rather at the end you get the entrepreneurs like Kim, uh, you know, uh, helping people to 
uh, to do their own uh, little kids, you know, and then the middle ones, which are the ones that have benefit, you know, social, you know, the whole thing, the whole ground for that is actually the middle one is the most important because farming is not about just feeding your stomach. I think farming is about the the idea of coming out in groups. And um, if you look at Bruegel's painting, right, mm. uh, the picture that you, you are familiar with that I use quite a lot for our lectures is that the... Um, the status quo of uh, the 15th century is where the balance is there, where um, buildings and agriculture, it had a, a very nice balance where kids go out and play uh, under a tree and that kind of thing. So that's my take on urban farming. I think this thing, urban farming is, is not going to go uh, well. Uh, I think it's only because uh, we lose out on the whole idea of farming, uh, which is not just to eat, you know, is. Uh, uh, but what I like about urban farming, it, it, it begins to eradicate the need to have supermarkets because the whole point about uh, having food uh, 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 two hours uh, to where the dining table is means that supermarket will have to uh, contend with that because the whole idea of uh, civilization is that we rely on motor cars and uh, supermarkets, mm. you know, uh, refrigeration and uh, uh, and um, automation or auto automotive, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, the automotive industry and refrigeration are the real killers of uh, of real architecture, which is like walking down the streets. And you know, mm. um, so my utopia would be that the the town planners get their act together, and that we don't have to drive miles, uh, so we, do, we we can eliminate uh, super highways, mm. and we can get rid of supermarkets altogether. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, Juan. Yeah, I, I believe the, the 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 core of urban farming definitely not just rely on the productivity, uh, its its ability to produce foods, but apart from that, it is about the you know go down to the street and also to meet different kind of people. Um, I I believe that's maybe part of the plan that Kim trying to convert some, uh, uh very hard scape. You know, I mean, of course, they are equally important, but the, the, the landscape part, the softscape <laughs> is equally important. For example, like we can try in PPR, for example. I mean, PPR is a very, very nice community, even they are, they are not like, you know, they are, even though they are quite a compact housing, but when it goes down to the playground, it's very nice and uh, nice compound. So I believe that maybe is a, a good, uh, good, good. I, I wouldn't say it's an experiment ground, but it's a it's a very nice place to do that in a way that you don't have to drive down to the supermarket. You go downstairs, you can pluck your food already. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I agree on how what uh, put the his perspective in terms of like where urban uh, urban farming should be in, should be positioned as because urban farming is not like the the ultimate answer for the future farming solution. So it's definitely, um, it's an alternative and it's an optional thing to have in the city. So if a city finds that it is relevant and it is feasible, uh, which is achieving more um, efficiency in terms of uh, applying urban farming in the city. So definitely having a, a, an urban farm, centralized urban farm, for example, in the city would be good because in the, the city itself is like, um, is a... It has an area, it has a parameter. So if the urban farm is able to like serve the people, the population within the parameter, that would be good because you don't need a lot of transportation. You don't need a lot of the freeze uh, refrigerator to uh, 
to really keep the vegetables fresh so it can instantly send to your doorstep. Mm. So there will be a solution for like, for example, mega cities. Right. Sorry. Uh, sorry, sorry, Victor. I, I think you, you might have something to share, right? Sorry. Uh, William, would you like to share your question because you were talking about UK and uh, urban farming planning, is it? Oh, uh, I mean, uh, just after hearing what um, Hot had to say, uh, I, I thought of this Garden City movement, which I, I briefly um, read before. Um, it has like its issues as well, but but I thought it was very close to to that this idea of urban farming. But then it's not really urban; um, it's it's suburban, really. Yeah, because you need that amount of land. You can't have the that same level of density. Um, that uh, like a what we would normally call urban to be mm. and and that's that's kind of like the the issue or not issue but like when when you talk about urban and what constitutes an urban um scenario then it kind of will be at odds with with this idea of real farming that the the again what Hots was saying about um just put on your boots and go, going out to this open field right mm. there there is this uh, the idea of a city in a very traditional sense it, it has walls to de demarcate inside mm. and outside mm. um and and there will be markets um from uh where where like goods from the outside will come in and that's how trade happens and stuff like that mm. so yeah this this idea of urban farming kind of blurs this line and and it's just it. Um, I, I'm not saying it's problematic, but there there, will, there are issues that we need to really consider at, at a very fundamental level of, of what constitutes for farming, what constitutes mm. urban, and then what is urban farming. Mm. Mm. It reminds me of the Ebenezer talking about the three magnets, right? It's about the rural and urban, and then the the in the middle one. Yeah. That, well, uh, he, he's he's the guy that started this mm. garden city movement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but it's really suburban it's, it's so. a, it's a, um, I tell you it went, it went back to the Vedic culture if you look if you remember India about uh, 2000 years ago it started out at the quadrant basically the, the, the four quadrants are agriculture um, so called the administrators and then they have the, the priesthood or so called the religious uh, quadrant and then they have the one which is for military or defence and um, mm. if you look at urban design all cities started out that way and eventually what you get is value creation, which is pretty much the damage that civilization does. Um, in terms of value creation, basically the town planners will demarcate uh, agricultural plot, you know, and certain amount, you know, for education. And you know, you know how town planning has failed us miserably. And, um, you know, the whole reason why uh, we live the way we live is because uh, of um, demarcation of where uh, high density is and and William, you you say about high density and you you know high density is one of the flaws of civilization in terms of architecture. You know, um, it actually allows neighbors like you and me living on different floors not have to have any uh, social contract. You know, we we have no social contract. And um, what happens in urban civilization, right, is that this farming business is also no social contract because what happens is that you uh, you believe that you are elevating your um, um, your self-worthiness by being inside uh, a town planning zone called 
the city, you know. Um, but that is the it's it's a flaw I, to my mind now. But of course, mm. it goes, it goes. To, um, it, it is obvious that most people would uh, disbelieve uh, this uh, so-called uh, misdirection of town planning. You know, we mm. we all argue that farmers should stay where they are and. Uh, what we need is a lot of supermarkets so we can store the food, you know, because we're so far away from the farms. You see, see, my point is that I think the real utopia is when, you know, you come out of the office and you see a cow feeding on grass in front of you. And that's, that's to me, is utopian. Yes, it is uh, hard to achieve because we've gone the wrong way for such a long time. And um, you, you really have to go back to, say, three to 400 years and then you begin to see, actually, great cities have farms... Uh, uh, 200 meters away from from them, you know. Uh, you, you you look at you look at a lot of great cities, right? The, the farming happens uh, 100, 100, uh, maybe maybe five kilometers. I'm I'm exaggerating slightly, but in France, for example, you get amazing cities that are thriving for uh, at least uh, uh, 500 years, uh, and they, they've done very well in terms of well-being and that kind of thing. And I think we we have indeed the the American model, and mm. and and I'm I'm. I'm 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 surprised that we don't realize that Singaporeans would would love to be in Malaysia, you know, because, you know, the the high density urban culture that had been so much instilled in our minds today, is a flaw, you know, to me. I think it's a flaw, and it's just uh, an illusion to think that that is the way of the future. That we we live hurriedly, mm. we go hurriedly from place to place, and uh, we stack ourselves up um, on top of each other, you know. And I I think it would be a separate uh, discussion, Gary. You should hold one about urbanization, you know, and, um, but I, 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 I would like to see a, a town or a village or a city where mm. I can go to work and walk past uh, uh, chicken farms. And uh, I want to be able to kind of raise my kids and have schools and uh, uh, looking out to rice fields, you know, uh, what's wrong with that, you know, and uh, <laughs> why is it that we can't do that? It, because with this mad race to value creation is actually a, it's governance, you know. Uh, you demarcate an area and say this is high value, um, and then the developers who bought into this idea, right? All they do is like push the plot ratio up, and then they, you know, they put a stick on that, and then and then the rest is history, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I believe. We, yeah, we, we should. We should. We should organize one another one. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, William. I I'm not sure if you wanted to add on, but yeah, feel free to. I think I have something to add on, on the, yeah, uh, the, yeah. the model that Pat mentioned, which is you have a town whereby you have, you can work there and the farm is just like in front of you. So I think I have uh, encountered one project which is called Region Village, which is based in the Netherlands. So they have this idea of off-grid village whereby mm. everything happens in within the village. And they have successfully crowdfunded this village with 1,000 families. And I think they are constructing now. And the idea is everything is uh, like self-sustained and off-grid. So energy is come from uh, solar and they have battery to store the energy. The food came from the farm just like within the radius. And uh, everyone is like working with each other to, to really make the village um, like self-sustained. So they have this closed loop um, economy going on. Mm -hmm. So it's very interesting to see this model will work in the future. So that may be a direction that we can go for. Mm, that maybe is a case study, but I, I, I doubt because it, it is a European model. I, but but it's, yeah. it's good to see if let's say it works, then, then it will be great as a case study. 
not necessarily to apply in Malaysia. Sorry, Victor, yep, you wanted to ask something, is it? Victor? Sorry, oh, no, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it's just, I uh, can't help but think that the, it just shows how important it is to have like, uh, how time planning and even uh, people who engage in social, uh, what do you call it? Social, uh, social enterprise. enterprise, you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just actually like a key component, I think. It's, it's, it's very clear that without that, it's hard to actually, uh, to actually develop anything uh, with, with, with value and that actually will sustain, you know? And uh, I can't help but think about the, the trip because I was I was actually working just a very short period, just for a few months uh, with Belalang, who they actually specializes in doing like green roofs mm. uh, that doesn't use any soil. So soil-free green roofs. Um, and uh, when I, they took on a little excursion to Singapore and I remember they, uh, I wasn't really prepared. I wasn't really sure what I was going to be signing up for, but they, they had this workshop where they even uh, brought in storytelling uh, about Gunung Mera, about the, the planting banana trees to protect the, the prince or protect the villagers. And, uh, and the king was really jealous and he actually uh, 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 killed the prince who came up with this idea and his blood uh, poured over the mountains. So they used storytelling and they built mm -hmm. actually like this hut grow uh, banana trees and then they even had uh, greenhouses surrounding it and this was also a school that was uh, already abandoned and uh, and so they even you even had uh, what do you call it like adults teachers and parents who had a history with the school to come over and also share their their experience so the community was very strong and i and i can't help but think of this experience it's, mm. it's quite a yeah quite beautiful to see all of it come together architects <laughs> uh, you know designers uh, art, um, you have uh, you know the, the local follies <laughs> yeah all the different different parties you know and, right and that, that, that's yeah yeah thanks thanks a lot for the beautiful sharing yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh so maybe we can go on with the uh, do we have time kim is it okay we we go go for the last one uh so so william yeah, sure. was talking about uh heideggerian utopia so maybe i i think that's that's quite 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 an open topic that maybe kim and Pat can share about it uh, maybe that's maybe that's that's the last uh, last thought lah before we end this. William, would you like to share that or you? Or I can read read, read for you. Oh, uh, I mean, uh, what? Message me privately to to clarify some stuff. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, I no, I, I just was thinking about the scale of of things. Uh, um, I I'm I'm not very sure. Uh, what? What was referring to about France and Germany, um, like a couple of hundred hundred years back? Uh, no, well, uh, well, William, what basically uh, for me, farm equals open space equals uh, park equals recreation equals do whatever you like. You know, if you like uh, to grow vegetables, then uh, please do so. So what I'm talking about is at the urban planning scale, they segregate uh, open space, which is uh, places where low density is open space means uh, there's one single farmer with uh, you know let's say 4,000 acres of grapes and then if you want to go to work right you're supposed to stack yourself on top of each other up to 40 floors okay so that's that's urban planning you know that's urban design and um, so basically what I'm talking about when you say urban design it says okay for the part which is not farm but I'm saying where why do we start like that why do we start saying farm to the left and uh, city to the right. The question I'm saying is that in Berlin, for example, mm. you know that I can I can go to I can go to the bank, and within 15 minutes I can see uh, 
35 to up to 40 people swimming naked in the river. Mm. It's, it's 15 minutes walk. Okay? Mm. And it takes very little to convert that, that forest to a, a proper farm. It doesn't take a lot to do that. Uh, but they choose not to do that. But I mean, you know, for, for us, uh, Malaysia, you know, Singapore is, I think, 60% uh, urbanized, or let's say 70%. Someone said that it's 95%. Mm. Um, but I, I think Malaysia, let's say we, we just have about 30%. You know, you know as, as we speak, right, a lot of the forest is already gone. We could easily build uh, livable cities uh, inside a lot of our so-called uh, semi-urban, what do you call those things, um, the, in the regions, you know, where you, you haven't got high density. And high density is, is something very American. High density comes, I don't know where it comes from, though. I mean, it'd be interesting to see why... Um, why do we why do we stack ourselves up so high? You know, so mm. it's it's I think it's value creation. It's is um, somebody who thought that you know if we can get all the people here together, high value to be able to put together in one spot. I mean, like I don't know. I think to me, some of the best cities to me that I have seen are in France and Berlin and Europe. I mean, mm. most most of most of France, I would say. I could easily say that you see, France has something like two thousand art galleries in it. Mm. Two thousand art galleries, okay, and Malaysia has like zero point five art galleries. Okay, so it's all about how we think about ourselves. So you see, the emphasis should be on farming. You know, the next time we cut out uh, another piece somewhere in Belum or Kuala, wherever, right? We should say thirty percent is farming. That's it, and then and then we could be twenty minutes away from the farm. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's what I was thinking about. You know, oh, there's a Lango there's a Lango golf club could be a public park instead of a private golf club hmm. in the middle of KL. I mean, it's hmm. a joke, <laughs> but people don't bother to be critical and say something against the government. That's the whole issue. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I do agree with, with Hot in that sense of like being able to see uh, a lot of different things happening um, whilst on your way to the bank or to, to work. Um, and I think it's a, it is a shame that in Malaysia, there's just so much priority given to roads and highways. Yeah. We can't really, that, I mean, the idea of urban in Malaysia is so different to, to that in, in Europe. It's, it's really a, an American city mm. uh, and, and phenomena. So, so, and when I'm thinking of urban density, I, I am also thinking about uh, a European kind of um, um, definition. Um, but of, of course, I'm not sure how that will translate into Malaysia, but like just, just, remembering how walking around is in in London for example like there's just so so much you can get within 15 minutes walk mm. um, radius uh, and and you you really get close and bump into people um, on the streets mm. you're not trapped in cars right and mm. so you um, I don't know if this is true for everyone, but but you you get into um, close contact with with people uh, on the streets more often, and yeah. it 
to me, it breeds a kind of sympathy for, for some people who, mm. you know, are less better off. And, and But then, you know, obviously there will be confrontations that you meet mm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's what density brings about to me. You know, it's this gathering of, of different people and, and different things um, in, into a, a, a slightly smaller area. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes farms and that includes buildings. Right. Um, yeah, and, and, and maybe I, I misunderstood um, just now when, when, when we were talking about, you know, coming down from an office and then seeing like chickens and cows. But like in my head, it was, it was just, you know, one hut in, 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 in the field, which is, which is why I said it, it was Heideggerian. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, when, when placed into that, that uh, context, I think it's, yeah, it would be nice to have that in Malaysia, but it's, it's, it's quite hard, no, that mm. the, all, all the pavements are all over the place, the roads all over the right. place, and right. how do we make that, yeah. Yeah, of course, I mean, it would be great if we can, the best of the both worlds, but of course, nothing is perfect, <laughs> but, but we just can make the compromise to, to, to achieve what we could. Thanks a lot, uh, William, Huan and Su, and also Victor, and thanks Su for joining as well. So Kim, would you like to have share your maybe final thoughts before end this? <laughs> I believe in this case, the role of urban, form, urban farming is not, I mean, of course, starting off with a condominium balcony is a, is a small, good move, but... I believe overall it's a it's a hard it's a big plan. <laughs> I mean, after we I mean, have uh, been hearing on civilization and way of life, <laughs> I think everything really revolves around like lifestyle and yeah. how people live in this time. So, for example, before like even before like two thousand years ago, there's no technology available. So mm. there's no like available electricity, no instant like. The uh, information coming on your like palm, you can like easily access to information that you can never access like before. Right. And things has been changing quite fast within this decade, I would say. So you yeah. don't have Facebook like ten years ago, and now you have it, and things going differently. And you know people, and you know things that happening around the world, uh, like instantly. So you get like viral posts, you get viral news, and even fake news, which <laughs> there's no fake news in, in the past, right? We never heard of fake news Because there's before. no news. <laughs> yes, there's no news. So I think things have changed and we have not yet able to cope that kind mm. of change yet. Because mm. we really need time to digest all of this and we really need to slow down, like how I say it, that we are actually, um, I would say suffocate, of information. Mm, mm, so mm. sometimes you get yourself out of like Facebook, social media, it's kind of like a recreational thing to do. <laughs> mm, mm, Rather mm. than you go to like farm, uh, you just close your computer and uh, mobile phone and uh, just enjoying arts, mm. for instance. Mm. So it's kind of like enjoying uh, an enjoyable moment. So mm. um, it's a different time. So I would say that uh, there's a different um, context uh, in comparison mm. for, for uh, like before before what uh, internet uh, comes for into our uh, life mm. so um, I would like to end this with just uh, uh, I would say that I have 
I'm, I'm personally I have some like dreams to make things better or to improve uh, other people's life or even when I able to teach something to others mm. for example my students uh, when the students are satisfied and they I responded with like good feedback and they are really true or something like that that really excites me and get me like going so mm. I think that's the motivation and the drive for me to like keep going mm. uh, on this so whereas on architecture is more um, wake or more distance from the real like feedback that I can mm. get mm. so that's why I, I I would prefer more of a like personal engagement with the people that I really want to like engage with and uh, like communicate or even provide services for them. Mm. So that's why I, I try to like negate a bit from the conventional uh, architectural practice and uh, try to like redefine what I can really uh, provide in, right. uh, in my future career. So, so that's what uh, I'm referring to uh, in redefining myself in 2020 right thanks a yeah. lot kim thanks thank you so much for your sharing it's been a wonderful sharing and for the past <laughs> almost it's a two quite hours. A good, great, great span of two hours thank you so much all for staying yeah, with us thanks, it's man. a very wonderful sharing I, I mean it's not just limited to the sharing from kim and also hazi thanks to hazi as well but the the, the conversation after that is very very uh, very fruitful i would say so yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, I thank hope you, you, Gary, guys. and thank you, Kim. I mean, we've learned yeah, a lot from your conversations. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Thanks a lot. You. So, all right. Hi, Sue. Yeah, Bye. see you guys then. Bye. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> see you. Bye. Yeah, have a good night. All right. right. Cheers. See you guys. All right.